keep to the issue at hand. No, this is the issue at hand. Every year, every month, it gets worse. There are fewer atollers, fewer traders. There are dead gardens, these windmills that don't work, desalinators, they can't be fixed. This place, this whole way of living, it's ending. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minutes 27 and 28, which begin with Helen raising the issue of a dwindling population of atolls, and they end with the Mariner being tormented by youths. Ugh, youths. The Commerce Elder was talking at the tail end of last episode about how the Mariner is still a Muto. He continues that thought today by saying that he could contaminate our community and others. And to that, I say, what about his actions makes you think that? Yeah, he's already, <laughs> he's already shown he does not want to have sex with your women. He was out for 15 months, or lunars, sorry. He was presented a, I'm assuming, breeding age teenager to make it sound even weirder and he said no and as he was walking away he said you have nothing to offer you're dying he had zero issue in contaminating your community and there is very little likelihood that he wants to contaminate anything and he's still in a cage yeah that doesn't need to change you just need to not kill him the commerce elder wraps up this argument with saying and others which is such a cop-out. He's pretending to be concerned about the general purity of the human race and other atolls. Yeah. He doesn't care. He cares about this atoll. He cares about this community. And that's fine. Is this the water world equivalency of won't somebody please think of the children? Yeah. <laughs> and I love that Helen turns this dumb argument that he's made and others because... Everybody knows they don't care about other people. They care about themselves. She turns it around on him to begin her argument that exactly what the Mariner said. They are dying. Mm. They have nothing to offer. I find it really interesting that she says we haven't seen another atoll in over a year. It must be quite the situation when two atolls drift into each other. Yeah, because how much control do they have over their drifting? Mm -hmm. So if you've got two atolls and they are drifting towards one another, one of them could be destroyed. Yeah. Both of them could be destroyed. This is not a galaxy situation where they're going to join together into a bigger atoll. People are going to die. It's like when you take two M&Ms out of a bag and you hold them between your thumb and index finger, and you press them together, one of those M&Ms is going to crack. Yeah. They're made of the same stuff, but one of them is going to be slightly stronger structurally, and it's going to crush the other. And if these two atolls are caught in slipstreams, or whatever it's called in water when you're caught in a current, and they mash into one another, one is called going being to being in a current. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's highly likely. Because if you look at a map of the currents, now, our current maps of currents, 
are very much affected by the land masses. Mm-hmm. Because our currents go around the land masses and they're forced in directions. So the current system in Waterworld is going to be completely different. But I imagine that it is incredibly easy to be in a current that interacts with another current at some point. And the chances of meeting up with somebody in that other current, extremely high. Mm. You're more likely to see currents in the world that are directly affected by the Coriolis effect of the globe spinning and the water being dragged along with it sort of thing. But you also have to realize that the continents are still there, so mountain ranges would still affect that current somehow. Oh, that's very true. It's not like... It's not like the topography of the bottom of the ocean is flat. You're not likely to have the jet stream that we have where a lot of hot air flies across the Atlantic to England and gives them a better climate than the equivalent latitudes in Canada because you don't have the land masses warming and moving. Do you think that if there was a current expert, they could suss out via currents the location of dry land? Maybe. I guess. Because that, possible. that mountain sticking up is going to affect currents. And I know absolutely nothing about currents. So I don't know if it would have enough of an effect that you could read that effect from a distance where you couldn't just see the mountain mm. and interpret it to say, hey, there's something big over there that is disrupting this current and making it go curvy when every other current is straight. Let's go that way. And obviously, yeah. that is not the case. Not for this world. Not for this atoll. As far as atolls drifting into one another, that has got to be how you get an atoll that's as big as this place. Multiple smaller rings floating into one another. And then, I'm guessing, opening up in some way to amoeba the other one. I think that's definitely how atolls got started, is... Ships lash themselves together, and then they find something big to lash around. If this atoll met up with another atoll that was just like it, similar size and population, I'm not sure that they would glom together Mm. because each of them would have their own government. And as we've learned from Parks and Recreation, that joining two towns that have their own governments is a really, really hard thing. Speaking of different types of atolls, there are a couple of concept illustrations in the Making of Waterworld book Mm -hmm. by Janine Poroy that I bought. They're by Steve Berg, and they're from 1993. And one of them is pretty cool. It looks like they started off with a big tanker ship and then built an atoll (gasps) off the side of it. Cool. So it almost looks. You should take pictures of these and put them up on the Facebook group. Yeah, I can do that. The first one looks like a lowercase b, p, or d. You've got the circle and then the straight line. And I think that's a great idea for how to start an atoll because then you can have this giant structure to build and then you've got the reach out from there. But then the other one on the page is an atoll with a more Nautilus design where it's a spiral. And I like the idea of a spiral atoll because if you've got people coming into the atoll, they're not immediately in the middle of everything. They've got to travel around a bit. Yeah, and you'd have your trading center in that hallway area. And then the residential stuff that needs to be the most protected would be on the inside 
of that Nautilus. These are both very cool. Plus the spiral would be the easiest one to add on to. Yeah, because you just keep building that wall out and spiraling out and out and out till you end up with those cities with like five layers of walls. Mm -hmm. You'd end up with something like that. And then this other one, I really like this one because it's a tanker. You take the Exxon Valdez that we're going to see in a little while and just kind of attach it to the backside of this atoll. So it's on the opposite side of the gate. And then there's this massive bridge. And the picture that they've drawn has a huge green space on this connecting bridge that connects the circular atoll to the more ship-like part of the atoll. It's very interesting. But both of them are quite a bit larger Mm -hmm. than the atoll that we ended up with. So as great as these would have been, not feasible in the way that they wanted to produce their effects. Yeah. Meaning actually build it. (laughs) I would love to see other atolls. Yeah. How did other people do it? Yeah. But you'd have to do a sequel in order to see other types of atolls, which is never going to happen. No, no. And that's, I'm okay with no sequel. The population elder, as if he knows that we went off on a tangent about atoll shapes, (laughs) says, let's keep to the issue at hand. And Helen refutes that by saying, no, this is the issue at hand. Every year, every month, it gets worse. They've got fewer atollers, fewer traders, their gardens are dying. Their windmills are breaking down. The desalinators aren't working, which irks me because it's not rocket science to purify water. Just keep the heat on and you're golden. Maybe they can't keep the heat on. I guess the that's the sun thing. is enough heat. The important thing is that according to Helen's observations, this place is dying. The whole way of life is dying. Everything is ending. And then she says, doesn't anybody else see that? <laughs> yeah. I do appreciate that at least one old man had a moment of introspection saying, huh, yeah, there were a lot more atolls when I was a kid. Oh, my gosh. That guy is so old. <laughs> How old is he? That when he was a boy, there was probably still dry land. hey <laughs> The guy is hella old. But going back to the passage from the book where it says that the atollers cling to belief because they need to believe in something. Helen says that they keep praying for help. And now someone who has the ability to help them has arrived. She says there is one man and the glasses elder is like, he's not a man. He's a fish. I appreciate that Helen immediately refutes this because it's a classic argumentative strategy to refute her argument with semantics. Oh, and it's a great line read because Helen is mid tirade and the glasses elder interrupts her and she doesn't let that shake her. She immediately comes back with a rebuttal. He's trying to quiet her by talking over her like most guys do. And she's not allowing that. And she sticks to her point. Mm -hmm. They have reason to think that he knows where dry land is. Make him tell us. Mm -hmm. Instead of killing him, make him tell us. She doesn't care about his freedom. She just doesn't want him killed before they can extract information that he may have. Helen is taking a rather slaver mindset with it. She is. She is very single-minded. She wants to put a leash on this guy. And have him bloodhound them around until they find dry land. Yeah. (laughs) 
all of this talk about, oh yeah, Helen's the hero. No, Helen wants to press him into servitude against his will. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure anybody comes out of this movie looking particularly great. Even <laughs> Helen, who we're supposed to like her. And our introduction to her here is that she doesn't care about him, just his information. So what do you think of the population elders saying that people have looked for centuries and death is all they've found? Well, I assume that he means that they died looking. But if they died looking, then you don't know if they found it or not. I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Reaching ahead to the end of the movie, we know that people were living on this land but not enough people to start a community, a civilization. These were individual pockets of family. So that when Enola's parents died, there was nobody left to take care of Enola. So it's very reasonable that Enola's parents were some of the people who were like, you know what, we're going to go out and try and find dry land. And if we find it, we'll come back and we'll tell you where it is. They got there. For some reason, they couldn't come back or didn't want to. And so they just live the rest of their lives on dry land. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that's probably happening a lot. And then the Commerce Elder, delivering that classic line of denialists saying, <laughs> it's a hoax. This just feels a little too timely for my taste. Yeah, it really does. I try so hard to keep current events out of the podcast for the sake of keeping the content evergreen. Yeah. But acknowledging our current culture of conspiracy theories is a little more far-reaching than one might say. Yeah. It's not so much current event as the trend that society is going in. People who just love to think that, sure, this situation could be as simple as it seems on the surface, or I could say that it is infinitely complex and the plan of so many different people, so that way life doesn't feel so chaotic and random and happenstance as it actually is yeah and that's definitely the direction that the commerce elder is going into the simplest thing for this community is to kill the mariner and be done and return back to the status quo yep helen's point is that the status quo isn't working we have to change it and here's an opportunity to change it this idea of the status quo needing to change and other people saying that the solution is a hoax. We say that this is a new thing in our society that we're having a hard time with right now in 2020. It's bad right now, but it's not new. It's not new. It's not new. We've always done this. We're always going to do it. We like the status quo as people. We like homeostasis. Our bodies are built to do that. So the easiest course of action is always going to be stay the same. And there's always going to be people who come up with good reasons, bad reasons, hoaxy reasons not to change. And we could change things for the better so much, but it requires work. It does. It <laughs> does there, require work. And there are people who do not like that idea. Nope. And in their case, it requires trust. Mm -hmm. If they do keep the Mariner alive to gather information from him, well, the next step is that they have to trust that information. Who's to say that he isn't going to say, yeah, I know where it is. It's off in that direction. And they're taking him straight to the smokers. They're going to have to trust that he is taking them to dry land as opposed to taking them to the smokers or to a group of slavers. And they honestly have no reason to trust him. Yeah. they're That's an aspect Helen has not thought of. They're presuming the worst 
which in a survival situation is honestly one of the things that might actually save you. Yeah. And us, the viewer, who know all sorts of things, know that the Mariner doesn't know where dry land is. If they did keep him alive and tried to extract information from him, he wouldn't have any to give them. It would be quite amazing if the Mariner was able to help the Atoll set up some sort of dredging machine, like a conveyor belt of construction scoops that as they drift around, they drag that against the bottom of the ocean and it pulls up great heaps of dirt and then they're able to pile that onto their organo barge. There's so much more engineering stuff that could happen that they're not even entertaining because they just don't know. Yeah. And to do that, they need an engineer, which we will meet next week. Yes, we will. The Gatesman has something to add to all of this. Oh, this is infuriating. First of all, before we get into what he says, why does he have a seat at the table? He's not on the council. He's the gatesman. No, that does not qualify him to sit at the council table. But he's in charge of the gate. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I don't think that's high enough. I don't think he gets to serve on the council. I don't think he gets a seat. At first, I was like, oh, he has a hurt foot that he is on the table. By the way, this is Rick Avilas's wiki feet entry. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I didn't actually look that up. I'm just saying it with sight unseen. Right, because you do really want to go to that website. I don't want to go to wikifeet.com. No. Anyway. So my point is, I don't think he should be at the council table. Maybe he doesn't usually sit at the council table, but because he had a barb through his foot, he has to sit at the council table because there are no other chairs. Yeah. He is doing a good thing by elevating his foot. Right. Even though he's got his whole leg up on the table and it's weird. The Gatesman has something against Helen and Enola because he says, we'd be better off if we got rid of that girl of hers too. And the banker... Always a wealth of throwing his two cents in where it probably doesn't belong, says, Smokers are looking for her. I heard it from a trader. Maybe a trader like the Nord? Well, the banker's not wrong. Enola is a threat to the safety because smokers are looking for her. They're about to get attacked because of Enola, not because of the Mariner. Mm -hmm. The Mariner had nothing to do with it. It was all the Nord and Enola. So the banker is right. The population elder does not want to have to deal with all of these disparate topics all at once, and so he calls for one matter at a time, but the matriarch wants to stick with this. She says, I say get rid of both of them, the Muto and the girl, and There's oh something my about the way she says it <laughs> is cruel and unreasonable. Yeah, she's nasty. Yeah, it's her tone is really awful. I do appreciate that the population elder... This is the second time that he has tried to bring them back on course. Mm -hmm. He is trying to maintain order. Let's deal with this issue. If you want to add an item to the agenda to talk about Enola and her effect on the safety of the community, you can do that. But that is a separate issue. He is trying to maintain order. Nobody else is. Everybody else is doing their own thing. He gets rebutted every time he tries to maintain order. This is why I hate going to deliberative sessions for the school board. Because it's just like this. Yeah, they open it up so that the crowd can come and hear the different topics. And you've got all of these folks coming out of the woodwork, raising issues left and right. And they're constantly trying to wrestle control of the meeting back to the folks with the gavel. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so frustrating. It is really frustrating. And at the end of the day, nothing gets resolved because they keep getting sidetracked because 
they want to resolve the issue with the janitors, but then someone's like, I think we should spend 40 grand on our new sports field. And everyone's like, shut your mouth. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Our school district is very interesting. Yeah. These atollers are just champing at the bit to turn on someone. In the script that you have outlined for me, thank you very much, somebody says, kill them. Yeah. I did not hear that in the movie. There's a difference between exiling them and killing them. Oh, yeah. There are multiple instances in this movie where atollers are in a situation where they don't like someone and their first go-to suggestion is to kill them. Uh, It's mob mentality, for sure. And also their need for biological material. Like, why exile them when we can plant them? Right. (laughs) And they can feed us. The situation where the elder woman is standing up and and shouting at everyone and then everybody instantly turns on Helen. It reminds me of that one scene, season one, episode five of Community, Advanced Criminal Law, where Britta admits to cheating on the test and she's standing up in the middle of Spanish class and she's like, she's yelling at Chang and she says, you can't just make people turn on others. And Chang points at her and he shouts, turn on her. And everybody in the class instantly starts throwing paper at her. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's a quote from some other show. I can't remember. A person is smart. People are stupid. Once you put a group of people together, our ability to think and reason declines. That's the whole idea behind mob mentality. That's what mom mentality is, is that when people get together, they behave stupidly. Oh, that's from Men in Black, the 1997 movie. Uh, It's also from West Wing. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't want to say it because I referenced West Wing too much, but that's where I got it from. I think it's a common idea because it's true and it relates directly to mob mentality, which people use that phrasing and that idea a lot as well because it's very human nature. Mm. In the Men in Black movie, it's Tommy Lee Jones. A person is smart. People are dumb. Panicky, dangerous animals. <laughs> That's exactly what we are seeing here. These people are panicking about this unknown individual, and they are acting dumb. You really have to love Gene Triplehorn in this scene, because as the matriarch is pronouncing her thing, and the Gatesman shouts, yeah, and everybody starts yelling, Gene Triplehorn's expression, where she's like, what? What is this? How am I suddenly losing? Yeah, she was, I'm not sure she was winning, but she was presenting her case in an effective way. And then all of a sudden it turned on her. And it's one of those frustrating things where all of a sudden Enola is going to get killed only because Helen brought her up. Mm -hmm. She didn't need to be part of this argument. She doesn't have anything to do with the Mariner. But because Helen brought her up, Nola's getting lumped in with the idea of dry land, and we're going to kill her too. Yeah. So kind of slap in the face to Helen. I pulled a selection from the YA novel because the dialogue is a little different there. Mm-hmm. This is pages 28 and 29. It begins, Our gardens are dying, she said. Our machines are breaking down. This place, this whole way of living is coming to an end. Now we have someone in our midst who might be able to show us the way to a new place, a new land. Dry land is a hoax, the High Elder lashed out. A myth, a children's fairy tale. And it is long since past time, Helen, that you accept that fact. The sooner you do, the better off we'll all be. 
The bearded gatesman stepped forward. We'd be better off if we got rid of that child of hers too. The murmuring was back again, uglier now. Those marks on the child's back, the gatesman said, they attract talk, they attract trouble. They say the smokers are looking for her. Fear clutched Helen's chest. She gave up all hope of reasoning with this mob and rushed from the meeting hall. That transition actually makes a lot more sense than what happens in the movie. Because we leave the crowd in the middle of this uproar. Mm -hmm. This agreement that both Enola and the Mariner need to be killed. And this confusion shock on Helen's face. That's where we cut out. And the next time we see Helen next week, things seem to have left the meeting unresolved. Mm -hmm. She says, they're going to exile us. I can feel it. Like, well, didn't you guys make a decision? I felt like they were about to make a decision. And then it just ended. So the transition in the book of her running out in panic makes so much more sense. I do like how there's all of this talk about Enola. And then when we cut outside of the meeting, the next person we see is essentially Enola, and she's at that little desk, and she's drawing with her charcoal. Yeah, it's time to start explaining to us why Enola is special. We've gotten little tidbits here and there, but it's become enough of a problem and enough of the storyline that we need some exposition. It needs to be explained to us. So that's pretty much what we get. I'm a little bothered by Enola drawing the cage as a dome shape when it is very clearly a rectangle. But then again, she is also a child. Right, but a rectangle is not hard to draw. Yeah. Maybe she's throwing her little artistic spin on it. I suppose so. I have a real hard time with Enola because I don't <laughs> like her. But I'll get over it. Whatever. She's too important to the story for me to not like her. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to figure it out. The last 15 seconds of these two minutes is definitely your nightmare situation. Oh, for sure. This is exactly what you were talking about back in episode seven. These roving bands of youths harassing adults with impunity. Yes. One thing that scares me about kids and teenagers is they have this way of knowing exactly how to get under your skin. Like this boy who has a fish on a stick. And is taunting the Mariner with it. That's probably one of the only things that would annoy the Mariner enough to actually react the way he does. That and stealing his stuff. That's already happened. Mm -hmm. But to be mocked in such a way. Oh, it's awful. And he puts up with it. At least to the end of this minute. <laughs> For this week, he puts up with it. And he doesn't react at all. Yeah. Him not reacting is quite impressive because you've got the main boy, who I have dubbed the fish stick boy because yep. he's holding a stick with a fish on it, is definitely the most vocal of the three. But then you've got another kid. His stick is used more for prodding. I called him the smug boy. Mm -hmm. He really only says that the Mariner sure is quiet from the shark that he was this afternoon. I do have to appreciate the pun. <laughs> and then the other boy, the one that does not want to stick around and poke at the mutant, is the braided boy. He's quite a bit younger than mm. the other two. Yeah, he says that they should not stick around. Maybe we hurt him. Come on, let's go. And the fish stick boy says, no, we are going to hang around and we are going to torment this guy because we're teenagers. <laughs> yeah, you're right. This is my nightmare. 
But this bit of acting from Kevin Costner, it's funny because it's a great piece of acting where he's not doing anything. He is stoic and still and just watching this happen to him. Mm -hmm. And really, what can you do in this situation except not give them the satisfaction of a response? Right. Because they are looking for a reaction, both in this situation and in real life. Mm Mm-hmm. Kids and teenagers behave that way because they're looking for a reaction. So just don't give them one. They're testing boundaries. Yeah. Seeing what they can do. Teenagers are awful. Let's wrap things up here with the kids pestering the Mariner. We're going to see more of that next week. But the Mariner will turn a trick of his own and scare the boys away, leaving us plenty of time to transition over to spending some time with Gregor, who is about to make an astrological breakthrough. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tui, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 14. We'll see you next time.